0: Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Dean Devlin. Now, uh, Dean Devlin, uh, you know, kids out there like me, you'll remember Dean Devlin as the uh, one half of the Devlin Roland Emmerich team, uh, made classic sci fi movies like, uh, you know, Independence Day, Stargate, uh, Universal Soldier. Um, uh, in recent years, uh, Mr. Devlin has focused more on TV shows like Leverage, the Librarian series. He's got a new one out uh, on the Sci Fi Network. The arc, which uh, I think folks will be into, you know, it's uh, it, it's kind of a throwback to the original Battlestar Galactica, that sort of thing. Uh, but I'm very excited to have him on the show today. Thanks for being with us, Mr. Devlin.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm I'm really excited to have you on because I grew up loving the. Devlin Emmerich movies. Uh, and then, you know, uh, moving on to the librarians and leverage and, and all that sort of great stuff. Um, but this is a business of showbiz podcast, first and foremost. And the thing I'm most interested to talk to you about today is how the business has evolved over these 30 years or so. I mean, oh I feel God. like I, I feel like, you know, you have lived through uh, two different sea changes in the in the 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 state of the industry. So, you know, just from your POV how has getting new stuff, you know, be it movies, TV shows, whatever changed over the years? Right. Or to put it another way, like how is getting to a green light different now than it was, say, 30 years ago?
1: Well, I, th- I think you have to kind of put it in this context. OK, when I was growing up, there were three networks that divided the pie in three ways. And later they added a fourth. So then there were four channels. Right. So it wasn't uncommon for a show to have 20 million viewers. You know that wasn't like insane in those days, and because of that, the networks were incredibly nervous about losing their share of that of that audience, right? So shows were were very controlled and 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 uh, predictable in a way because you don't want to take chances, you don't want to screw it up, you don't want to be too controversial, you you know. So it was very hard to do that, but meanwhile, at that exact same time people thought the movie industry was almost over. And so they handed the keys to the kingdom, to these hippies who suddenly made these insane movies, these incredible movies, and brought movies back to life, right? So you had all this incredible uh, 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 work, this, this kind of in, ingenious work happening in, in movies. But television was very predictable, very, you know. Well, over time now, what's happened is movies now cost $150 million to make and another mm-hmm. $100 million to market. Mm-hmm. and they're so expensive that no one wants to screw that up. No one wants to be responsible for taking down a studio with a with a flop. So those movies are the ones that have become incredibly, you know, handled by groups of people and market research and but on the other side with all the streamers and all the cable channels and suddenly there's 500 places to go watch your entertainment and the only way to make a name for yourself or to be seen is to do something innovative and interesting and, and out of the box and unusual. So we've we've literally flipped the, the script on, on on where creativity blossoms. So I think that's probably the biggest sea change from when I started.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, do you do you feel like you have more freedom working on a show like The Ark? I mean, do you do you feel like you can just kind of get in there and do Whatever you want, or is it is it still you know, are you do you still have the studio studio exec sending down a, a note or two?
1: well, he, here's the thing and and this is why talking to me about this is a little bit out of the box in that since two thousand and four, we've been the studio
0: mm-hmm.
1: So you know uh, with the with only the exception of when I made the horrible mistake of making geostorm or <laughs> or the sequel to Independence Day those are the only two experiences at studios mm-hmm. that I've had in all these years. So we've been our own studio. So that has afforded an enormous amount of freedom. Uh, uh, and we've been very fortunate that the networks that we've worked with, you know, when we were at TNT, now we're on Freevee and sci-fi channel, we've had the most creative and, and uh, supportive executives that I'd ever had in my life. So we, we haven't run into the kind of things that, is typical you know many years ago i had had done a tv series uh, that fox was the studio and fox network was the network and they were at war with each other Mm -hmm. and i thought wait you're all fox Why, (laughs) why why is this happening and and one show wanted to make this peaceful beautiful show that was uplifting and the other one wanted independence day the tv series and they were constantly battling and i was stuck in the middle And that's not an untypical situation for showrunners where Mm. the the studio wants one thing, the network wants something else. And and now you're, you're in hell. Uh, But since we've become the studio and we own all of our own shows, it takes a whole layer of of, uh, bureaucracy out of the, out of the way creatively. So we've only been dealing with network executives and we've had this incredible fortune of working with really good and creative executives. So, yeah, uh, the arc has been a dream.
0: Well, let's let's talk about the arc a little bit because I, I I have watched the first four episodes now. That's we we got screeners for the first four, and it's it's really entertaining and kind of a almost a throwback sort of way. It remind you know looking back at Leverage uh, and the Librarians, right? Those are almost throwback shows as well, right? Leverage is kind of throwback to Mission Impossible or like Caper of the Week style shows, um, and then you have the Librarians, which you know had strong indiana jones vibes kind of i mean if i was mixed
1: in with dr who yes mixed in with (laughs) dr who yeah
0: i mean it's it but here with with the arc uh you know what what did you have in mind because it definitely feels like maybe old school like old school battlestar galactica not really new school the old school like the original kind of humanity on the run trying to figure out how to how to make it work um i i'm i'm just curious what your what your what the vibe you were going for with this this the show was
1: Here's the thing. I think it has become really fashionable, especially with critics um, to embrace these incredibly dark, grounded and edgy shows. And don't get me wrong. I enjoy many of them. I find them very compelling, but I don't enjoy making that. You know, I I'm at my heart. I'm a nerd who went to sci-fi conventions and I like my sci-fi to be fun. I like my entertainment to be fun. I like to cheer. And I also like to cry a little bit, but <laughs> I like to have a lot of fun uh, in my in my genre entertainment. So you know, uh, yeah, I would say uh, uh, the arc definitely has roots in the original Battlestar. I think it also has roots in Silent Running, if you remember mm-hmm. that movie back from the seventies. Sure, uh, you know it, it, it. This goes back to the kind kind of science fiction I fell in love with as a boy, and have always wanted to make myself so. I I think my stuff is kind of, you know, I know you if, if you ever get a chance, check out my show, um, uh, Almost Paradise. It it's it's very much a throwback to the old kind of detective show, except it takes place in the Philippines. Uh so yeah, we try to find things about it that are fresh and new and make it feel not like another show, but I also like my shows to be kind of like a comfortable old shoe. That as soon as you're watching, you go, Oh, I feel I I feel good wearing this. This is that my favorite sweater. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, it definitely there was definitely, uh, again, a familiar vibe to it. You could you could see some of the DNA uh, poking through when, when you're sitting down with the writers and the directors and everybody and working through what the the plot lines of the season are. Was there any w- at any point where you like, no, that's 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 too serious. That's too dark. Let's bring it back a little or or uh, like the other way. I mean, w- did you ever were you ever like, ah, that's a little bit too goofy. Let's pull it. Let's pull it back a little bit more towards uh, reality here. Well, you
1: know, I think the the thing is is it's really about execution. In other words, um, someone said a, a critic actually said this about leverage. You know, our new version of leverage, leverage redemption. They said, you know, if you strip away the fun heist stuff, these are incredibly dark stories they're telling. You know, one is a, you know mm. uh, is about molestation, another one is <laughs> about drug companies poisoning people. But the way in which we tell it is is important. So we don't really shy away from anything on the arc. Uh, uh, but we'll look at how we're, how we're portraying it. If we're mm-hmm. getting too silly that the, that, the, that the melodrama doesn't hold anymore because we've become too silly, or is the melodrama too heavy that we can't enjoy ourselves anymore? You know, at the root of the show is that Jonathan Glasner and I, we're really optimists. And we wanted to do a show that in in its core is about the triumph of the human spirit that you can put us in these pressure cookers, we can go to war with each other, but we come out the best versions of ourselves, ultimately. We may go through hell to get there, but we always do come out the best versions of ourselves, and, and better than the previous generation. Um, and, and that's kind of what the arc is really about. It, it, it's a microcosm of our world in this pressure cooker, and exacerbating every single issue to, to a life and death situation. But I think the fun of the show, the thing that makes the show worthy of watching is seeing how these people who are not ready to be leaders, who are not ready to, to, to be uh, um, uh, the, the, front, uh, the front line of this, having to become the best versions of themselves in a very small period of time, or all, they'll all perish. Yeah. And that to me is, is, is really what separates the show from other science fiction shows.
0: Yeah. You, you mentioned you use the word melodrama there. And I, and I love that because a lot of people shy away from the word melodrama. They they consider it an epithet. You know, oh, this is the, the melodrama means unserious. But it, it, that's that is that's crazy to me because, I mean, it, melodrama means fun. Melodrama means, you well, know, we, gripping we, and entertaining.
1: You know, we live in a time where we just relabel everything to make it sound better. You know, it's like that. We used to say skipping breakfast, and now it's intermittent fasting. <laughs> you know, so, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you get the little comedy, you get the little melodrama and you got a nice show. <laughs> uh,
0: the other thing that you mentioned there that I love is the uh, the sense of optimism. You know, I one of the things I, I find very frustrating about a lot of modern, especially space exploration shows, weirdly enough, is just this. Uh, This this real hesitance towards the idea of exploration of human expansion or whatever. I mean, humanity is often treated as a disease, uh, you know, something that is, you know, spreading like cancer or whatever. And I'm 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 glad to see something that's a little more optimistic and pushing back against that. Is it was that specifically what you were thinking about when you guys were making the show? Just this uh, idea of human human growth and, and progress?
1: That's, that's the heart and soul of the show. But I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, the thing is, it, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. And one of the things that I love about Doctor Who is that the Doctor doesn't kill people. He doesn't shoot them with guns. He's, he, 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 he'll make bad guys, he'll punish bad people. But he doesn't kill them, he doesn't shoot them with he, he, He's somewhat of a pacifist. And why that's interesting is that if, if I pull up a gun right now, right, we've got drama. I'm pointing a gun, there's drama. But if you're not allowed to do that, it's a much harder thing to pull off. It's a much harder thing to write. You know, how are you going to make this conflict work? How are you going to resolve it? How are you going to, you know, you don't have these very easy tools. And I feel the same way about um, things that are uplifting. Because it's so easy for uplifting to become cheesy. And, and make you roll your eyes. And because of that, people don't want to try it. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like, oh, uplifting is old-fashioned. If you nail it, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's just, it's really easy to screw it up. So we went down the path of, we want a show that's ultimately uplifting, Ultimately, and it makes it a lot harder to write. And it's a lot harder to direct. And, you know, we're in the editing room constantly going, oh, did we go too far? Did we have to pull it back? And, um, but I think that when you nail it, there's nothing better
0: can you can you think of an example from your or somebody else's work where the uplift goes too far where you're like ah this doesn't this this doesn't work the audience doesn't doesn't necessarily buy it
1: uh yeah i made a movie called godzilla (laughs) 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 uh we kind of we kind of messed (laughs) up so the scene that we thought everyone was going to go oh they're you know they're they're all moved they're all rolling their eyes and went okay well Let's not let's
0: do that again. All right. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, You know, as a a former actor yourself uh, and you were in two of my uh, favorite 1980s movies, uh, AMC classics, I like to call them uh, (laughs) my bodyguard and real genius. Uh, What did you what do you look for when you are when you're casting, especially a show like this, where it's mostly unknowns? um, It's a big ensemble cast. You've got a lot of parts to fill out. Uh, You're not you're not, you know, you're not putting Will Smith uh, in there, right? It's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a, a fewer, fewer, no lesser known names. Um, what are you looking for from a performer when you're filling out those roles?
1: I'm looking for courage, being able to risk looking stupid. I'm looking for their ability to play jazz music. And, and what I mean by that is that they're not overly married to the way that they decided to do it. You know, v- very often while I'm casting, I will actually give the actor a completely horrible direction just to see if they can alter what they planned. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, they've got their one way to do it and then that's it. But I have found if you have a group of actors who are really listening to each other, who are really present, this kind of jazz music starts happening and, and things happen that you didn't plan as a writer or as a director. And that not only becomes magical in front of the camera, but it also inspires writing a future episode because you go, Oh, what was that look he gave when he talked about his dad and he looked at her, there was something going on there. Or What's the dad backstory. And now we're suddenly writing something we weren't planning on writing. So uh, yeah, I look to actors who are, who are really present, who who aren't afraid to look bad, you know, that their ego isn't involved in their performance. Um, And, you know, we got so lucky with this cast because, you know, especially casting, in the time of COVID, you're doing it like you and I are right now with Zoom. Mm-hmm. And it's not quite the same. And we felt very excited every time we cast one of these people. But until you put them on set, you don't know. Is, are they going to mix together? Is this going to be? And, and I directed the pilot. So I'm on set. And, I, you know, I, I've never said this publicly, but yeah, I was terrified before the first day of shooting. I was like, well, what if, what if there is no alchemy between them? That's going to make making the show a million times harder to try and create that and we got so lucky cuz they ev- to a person we didn't have one one sour note they all had that ability to to flow with whatever was going on on set and it was great
0: yeah you mentioned covid i mean were you guys shooting uh what what uh, let me just ask the most basic version of this question what what were the restrictions you guys were shooting under now is everybody still masking are you uh, do you have different teams you know uh, oh, only yeah. only with each other like how is how is that especially on a big ensemble picture like this where you've got tons of moving parts tons of actors how does that work with with in the age of covid that we you know still kind of exist in
1: it it's enormously burdensome um but at the same time you've got to protect your cast and your crew But, yeah, we had to test everybody three times a week. We had to divide the crew into different segments where very few people were allowed to cross over. Everyone had to have masks on. The actors had to put on the mask in between every take. I mean, it was it was it it was very burdensome. Um, But I will say that it would have been worse if we had had people who resented doing it but i think everybody so wanted to make the show and everybody wanted to protect each other that uh, you know everybody did what they had to do and and we didn't you know we didn't have to shut down we didn't have to nobody went to the hospital so uh yeah i mean it worked out but yeah it, it added a lot of money and a lot of time so yeah it's tough
0: you mentioned the money and i i i'm i'm excited to have you on for a very prosaic reason which <laughs> is that i uh, again business of hollywood the business of covid testing and protocols and all that has added enormous expense to shows and movies, right? I mean, from just from a from a like bottom line, pure dollar standpoint, what are you what are you looking at as a producer in terms of cost and all that stuff?
1: Well, it depends on the production, but uh, uh, it, it was probably an additional five million dollars to the budget on the last season of Leverage Redemption. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it's just it's a lot of money. And you have to hire people to monitor it. You have to have people who are sterilizing things. Um, You can't shoot the the same amount of hours we used to shoot, which then adds days to the shoot schedule. Mm Which you know, you know, on *Leverage Redemption*, I think a day of shooting is close to three hundred thousand a day. So you know, yeah, it's 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 a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's wild. It's it's when somebody writes the financial history of this period, it's going to be it's going to be crazy. Uh, You you know, you mentioned the. Uh, the fractured nature of the the market in tv now how do you differentiate yourself um with a show like the ark uh because you know with with something like stargate or independence day you have big star power right um or uh you know uh the librarians and leverage were in in a slightly uh, a a slightly less competitive landscape where it's basic cable instead of basic cable plus networks plus streamers plus you know everything else. Um, with the arc, I mean, there's a million shows out there. How how do you get folks to be like, all right, I'm sitting down and I'm watching probably five episodes of the arc in a row because I missed the first couple and I want to catch up on it. What how does that work for you guys?
1: Well, you know, honestly, we don't think about it. you know. I, I and I think that when people overly try to think about these things, they they forget the art of storytelling. You know, our, our hope is if we make something good, people will find it, you know, and, and uh, I've always approached every show I've done from a pure fanboy perspective. You know, to me, it's, I always sit down at the beginning and go, what do I want to go watch? And if no one's making it, then I go make it. You know, but it, it's always, it, I always start there because I feel like if you don't have passion for your own work, it's impossible for anyone else to. Um, And even if you do have passion, it's not guaranteed that that's going to be infectious, but it can only be infectious if you, you start from that place. So, you know, this show started because I really wanted to make a spaceship show. You know, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to be on that set. I wanted to be on the bridge. I wanted to see people in those costumes. You know, I, I couldn't wait to do it. And my hope is there's other people who want to see uh, a spaceship show the way that we're doing it. I don't know if there is. I don't do any market research or or or, or listen to advisors. Or uh, To me, I just tell the stories I want to tell. And I hope that other people like it and get involved. Um, I will say that, you know, we we have a kind of terrific fan base from our other shows. And they tend to at least, at least give our show a shot. Doesn't mean they'll stick with it if they don't like it, but they tend to give it a shot. And so then, then you know, from our point of view, it's like, okay, they gave us a shot. We got to live up to it. And um, on this particular show, I don't know why, but to me, it's like, as soon as we started working on it, I was like, this has to be on the sci-fi channel. It
0: mm-hmm. just
1: has to be. This, is, mm-hmm. this to me, as a fan, is the show I want to watch on sci-fi channel. You know? And so, yeah, we went out wide, but the place I was hoping was sci-fi. Like, come on, come on, baby. (laughs) And when I got the call saying, yeah, we really want to do it, uh, you know, I was over the moon. The first call I made was to Jonathan Glasner and said, dude, you got to you got to get on the show with me. I I need you. And luckily, I I had some Polaroids of him that, you know, I I was able to force him into it. So,
0: (laughs) Uh it's great. It's it's interesting that you describe this as a spaceship show because I, I love I love that description because it makes me think that you're just sitting there. All right, what do I want the spaceship to look like? What do, what did you did you sit down there and like build a model yourself? Were you doing sketches like, all right, here's here's we need we need the gravity well here? We need the this is what I want the bridge to look like. How was that uh design process like for you?
1: Well, the first person I brought in to talk about it was um, Randall Groves, who who did the librarians and leverage for me. Um, And I I said, so we've got this dual problem. On one hand, this has to be a pressure cooker. You have the you have these people kind of like shoved together. Right. And and we want to we want that to be as intense as possible. I said, but the flip side of it is this entire show takes place on a spaceship it can't get overly claustrophobic or I'm not going to want to watch it after an episode or two. So I need, I need to breathe. I need a variety of, of feelings. I need, I need that when they're in this place, it feels like this, but when they're over here, it feels totally different. I need to have a whole world and yet still feel like they're stuck on the spaceship. So that, that, that took a, that was a real tough uh, challenge to, to, to Randall. And that's when he came up with the idea of the observation deck with the giant windows, which could be a a more relaxed place. And then other places that were very intense and claustrophobic and other places that were busy and chaotic. And then of course, having our, our, our farm gave us kind of a the one place that actually mm-hmm. has, uh, um, nature, which, which provided us a, a completely different environment. Um, you know, uh, we, the show only takes place a hundred years from now. So it's not thousands of years from now. So we tried not to do kind of, you know, magic sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, So everything in the show is based on some real science, but we're also not a overly grounded show or we couldn't have gravity. And if we couldn't have gravity, uh, you know, we couldn't afford to make the show. Right. So, you know, we're using the, 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 the spinning sections of, of the ship to, to indicate how they're creating gravity, even though we don't have that technology yet, they wouldn't quite work the way we have it. But, you know, so we are, we are taking some leaps of faith, but, again, every single thing that we're doing in it is connected to some type of real science that's going on or real research that's going on.
0: Yeah. I, did you, were you ever uh, worried about losing the audience or, or alternately holding their hands too much uh, in terms of the science and, and making sure that everybody could kind of follow along with what was, what was happening?
1: Well, you know, I think the thing is, there is no science fiction show that lives in a vacuum right? Every science fiction show you watch today somehow is going to be related to the shoulders it's standing on to some other science fiction show you've seen before. It it, it, not only is it impossible, I don't even think it should be because by living on the shoulders of the of what came before, you can have these shortcuts where people understand things very quickly because, oh, well, I saw that in Mm -hmm. these three other shows. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw the original aliens. I saw them wake up in sleeper pods. I get what sleeper pods are right? And then, oh, there was Passengers recently. They had sleeper pods, too. So now that's a conceit of the genre. You know, there's certain things that that uh, uh, lived in other shows, and that allows the audience to, to, to understand things very quickly. Now, if you're not someone who's ever seen a science fiction show, there are going to be parts where you're going to go, wait a minute, how does that work? Uh, because we chose not to sit there and make it a, a science lesson, you know. But again, I think uh, our show, because we don't have space aliens, there's not laser battles with, you know, stormtroopers. This is a very human drama show. So you don't really need to understand the science to get off on this show. You know, th- this show is really about people trying to survive who weren't ready to be in the command positions that they've been given.
0: hmm. Mm-hmm. let me let me ask just in terms of the, the 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 broad grand arc of the show is is this a show that ends when they get to their uh planet that they're colonizing <laughs> or is it a a show that you think is this is the first you know couple seasons and then we're going to keep going after that
1: uh well y- you'll have to see where it goes <laughs> um but I, but i'll i'll tell you this you know uh uh Jonathan Glasser and I had a lot of talks about this and 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 we we both really believe that it's a mistake when a show overstays its welcome you know that you've seen shows and it's got kind of like this has gone on too long they're trying to squeeze another story out of this and it doesn't work anymore so we kind of laid it out and said look after 18 seasons no more <laughs> <laughs> that's it we just stop no matter how much right. more we want
0: so 2 200 episodes <laughs> or so and then, and then that's, that's it that's it that uh, that's all right. It. That I think that's a that's a good goal for that's a good goal for anybody to aim for. Uh, we're we're running uh, up against our time limit here. I always like to close the show by asking if there's anything I should have asked. Um, if there's anything you think people should know about your show, about the the business of showbiz, whatever. Uh, anything I, I failed to ask in my uh, in my my questioning.
1: Um, no, you, you, this is. Uh, I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. Uh, that, I think this has been a very thoughtful conversation, and and I and I appreciate your time.
0: Thank you, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Dean Devlin, uh, the uh, executive producer on the Ark. Uh, everybody should check it out. It's on Sci Fi, uh, the network, uh, S-Y-F-Y Network, Sci Fi Network. Go go check it out. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at the Bulwark, uh, and I'll be back next week with another episode. See you guys then.